You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Take your Bible, if you will. Find the book of Romans. I apologize. I I know several of you have said y'all follow my notes on Sunday night. I forgot to post them, so I'm trying to post them now. So I have no idea what that format's going to look like on my phone. So modern technology, I just posted them. So if you follow along on the website, you will you can have the notes, but I don't think the format's going to be it. It usually is because I didn't have a chance to, to clean it up before I posted it from a Word document but it's there. Romans 12 uh, fits in perfectly from uh, what we were looking at this morning in John. We've been walking through Romans uh, on uh, Wednesday night and then uh, with uh, the the giving of the Spirit and what the the Helper provides for us, I thought it was a wonderful way to tie in and and to look a little deeper into the Word of God uh, of understanding the, the Spirit and the gifts and what that means as we or here at, at Romans chapter 12 and Sunday night, we've been looking at different aspects of Romans. We're going to take a big, a big look at it, not a detailed verse-to-verse look at it, kind of a big picture of it, and then look at the gifts. <clears throat> we, we've gone from the, the section of Romans where we're looking at this, living the Christian life out. You know, we, we've looked at all the things of Romans leading up to verse chapter 12, and in chapter 12, we begin to see what does it mean to live the Christian life out? Uh, we can have all the knowledge in the world, uh, but that doesn't mean anything if we're not living the Christian life out, just like it is if we're trying to live the Christian life out and we have no knowledge and understanding of truth. It's they, they fit together perfectly. So let's look at Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1, and then I'm going to spend a lot of time looking at the gifts in verse 6 through 8. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, this is Romans 12, Verse 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual uh, worship. And so here's all the stuff we've talked about, salvation in Rome, uh, the the Jews and the Gentiles. we've, We've come through Romans, what it means to be saved, why we need to be saved, how we are saved. God's process in the saving, our response in the be saving and everything. Now, based on all of that, Paul says to the church, and God says to us here today, now live your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, acceptable unto the Lord. Laying our life out there before the Lord. As, as the priest would take the sacrifice into the temple, so we are taking our life and giving it unto the Lord. One of the things about the Christian life, I think for some reason, we fail to miss, there's action involved with it. It's not just a, a mental understanding. I just realized I'm not lined up. Y'all looked so far away when I looked up. Uh, the, uh, 
it, it, it's more than just, hey, I believe these things. I'm not a, I hear that all the time. I believe these things. I'm just not into religion. I believe these things. The Christian life is a life about action. If you read the gospel, Jesus was a man of action. Come, go, do, worship, follow, serve, go, do. Not in legalism, not in drudgery, just out of joy. I think alone of the task that we have, we need to be busy people. We need to be still and understand what worship and rest is. And I've even uh, been reading some books that are challenging me. One of the books I just finished up a few it's been a couple of months ago, Reset. Just too busy. I got too much crazy stuff going on. Just reset uh, and stay focused. We're crazy busy and we need to reset to help us understand all this other stuff is not what we're here for. It's this main thing that we're here for. And this main thing is living for the Lord Jesus Christ and being a living sacrifice for him, which is holy and acceptable, uh, which is your spiritual worship, which is kind of, this is just what you should do. That verse that says, this is your spiritual worship. This is just what you ought to do. You just do, do what you're supposed to do. If you love the Lord and you have the Lord in your life and your life is a spiritual act of worship, then this is just what it's going to look like. Now be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let the world conform you, but be transformed by the Spirit on the inside out. And so as a pastor, one of the great things that I have so much encouragement is I can encourage someone, you can be transformed. Why do I know someone can be transformed? because it's a supernatural thing that happens because of the spirit and the word within us. If someone's transformation is based on me getting them to get it externally, the odds are it's probably not going to happen. But because it's an internal, supernatural, powerful thing that starts from the heart and then works its way out, that's where we have our hope. Don't be conformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, testing that you may discern what is the perfect will of God. Uh, Where are my graduates? Graduate, you're a graduate. You can know the perfect will of God. Isn't that pretty neat? You can, do it. you can do what you need to do, when you need to do it, why you're supposed to do it, because you're supposed to do it, for no other reason than God wants you to do it. How do you do that? Let, the, let, your, let your mind be transformed daily by the word of God and the spirit of God and do exactly what he tells you to do when you do it and you'll be in the perfect will of God. Isn't that easy? Why do we make that so difficult? So I can all hope can tell these seniors, I, I listen to what you're going to do. You may be an astronaut, I don't know. I was going to be an astronaut. That's fine. Be an astronaut. But in case you're not an astronaut, it doesn't matter to me. Just be in the will of God. Uh, do what God wants you to do. You can know the will of God. That's kind of what the, what the Spirit's for. <clears throat> for the, now verse 3. Uh, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, now we're getting into the gifts. So that was kind of the introductory. Wednesday nights you've heard this, but it's been two weeks ago. You've already forgotten for by the grace given to me, I say to you, everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so, though, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion of our faith and service in our serving, 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see as we understand the Christian life, how to live the Christian life, we see right here in Romans, what I'd like to say is that there are there gifts, there are things that God has given and doing in our midst for the benefit of the body. And so there, there, this Christian life, this living sacrifice, there are things that God is doing and, and individually as he brings us together and the benefit is for us. And it is for our benefit as we worship the Lord and we grow. There, were, there are three foundational things that we must apply as we begin to think about our spiritual giftedness. And then we're going to look at those individual gifts that have been listed. So here are the three things to consider as we look here at the word. Look at verse 3. For by grace given to you, to everyone among you, not to think of themselves more highly. Humility. Now, wouldn't you just naturally think that the most humble people in the world should be found in the local church? Or how about this? Matt will understand this. Wouldn't you think that the most humble people you would ever meet would be at Southern Seminary or Southwestern Seminary or Southeastern Seminary? Wouldn't you think the most humble, meek people are at our seminaries? A lot of times that's not the case. Why is that? Because I'm at seminary. Naturally, I'm at seminary. I've been called into ministry, and I'm just kind of smart. That's why I'm here. I'm just kind of here to study the Word. Well, naturally, Joy's always asking me to sing with the choir. Naturally, somebody wants me to lead the Bible study. Naturally, and so in the Christian, I mean, true story. You'd be surprised a number of times I've had men. It's always men, I guess, because they know we're Baptists. Women, women won't do it because they know we, that we don't, you know, have women apostles in the church. But I guess they think we have men apostles in the church. So they'll, they'll come to me and they'll visit. And they always look the same. They always have that little look to them. And they're always hanging around for everybody to leave. And they'll come up to me and says, well, I, if you ever need someone to lead your Bible study, I'm a, I've been called to teach the Bible. I'm an expert in the Bible. And, and so let me give you my card. And if you ever need me. And so I always say, you know what? Our, our youth pastor would love to have you come down and help him. I'm going to give you his card. And you just give him a card. And I always follow up with this question. Where do you go to church? Well, I don't really belong to a church. I just travel around and teach. So by the time he walked out the door, I tear it up and put it in my pocket and Sharon picked it up out of the dryer. Uh, anything, you know, so go back to seminary. We ought to be, seminary students need to be sitting at seminary weeping that they're even there. You know, anyone that, that leads and anyone that teaches and anyone that serves needs to weep because there is nothing they have that they figured out on their own. I even tell smart people that. Not that I don't think I'm smart, but you know, smart people in school, you're, you're smart because God, yes, you've probably tapped into and, and done the best you could do, but you know, uh, you're, you're smart because maybe God gave you a little smart gene in your brain. Stay humble with it. 
And so the, the number one thing that we see in, in Scripture when we start talking about spiritual gifts in the church, be humble. Have a spirit of, of humility. You know, you think about even reading the Bible. When you read the Bible and the Lord shows you this truth or he gives you the ability to, to study the word and look in the word, who are we to think we figured that out on our own? That was a gift from God anyway. We may have been diligent with that that God has given us, but everything we have, we owe to the Lord. That's not a, that's not a, bad, uh, a bad trait to have in all of life. Be people that are, that are humble. It is because that grace has been given to us. It talks about with sound judgment and, and just think right. Keep your mind the way it's supposed to be and just continually remember yourself that I am following Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to be a servant to all. And anything God is gifting me to do, I'm doing so as a humble servant unto the Lord. And I'm keeping this spirit of humility according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And for some reason, I always go back to, I don't know why, my grandmother cooking with flour. I don't know why, whenever I see that word, I can see her now in the kitchen and biscuits and stuff and sprinkling flour on whatever she was sprinkling on. I don't know, I don't make biscuits. But there would be a, she would measure that out and sprinkle that into that bowl of ingredients. God is sprinkling out in us exactly what he wants us to have exactly what we need but there's another way to think of that there's still a bag full of it you're not the only one you know I might think and it's so true and and it seems to be and let's take ministry for an example uh there's always a hot preacher you ever notice that you know, and, and it's like you got the hot preacher in town and everybody, you know, he's on TV and he's on this, that, and the other guess what's going to happen to that hot preacher one day He's going to die. Now, I'm sure Sharon is going to take every one of my sermons and write a book and to be the memoirs of the beloved or something, and they'll probably sit on the shelf and be sold by the millions. I, I, I doubt it, but let's just say for the sake of it, there's going to be another pastor come right behind that hot shot pastor, and, it's just, you know, it's, and that, that dude's going to be an afterthought. And I think sometimes we think, if we ever think that we are it, God reminds us, no, you're just a measure. God says, I'm it. And I'm, I'm giving according to what I need to happen. Um, I've preached some great sermons that I thought was written, you know, I'll tell you this way. I have thought that I was about to preach a great sermon. And I get through and think I sounded like the, the teacher on Charlie Brown. That is a horrifying feeling when you're preaching and you know it's coming out. Wah, 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 wah. And you wah, 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 wah. Everybody's just like, you know, it's just like the nothing. Then I've preached some sermons where I felt like I've, I've done everything I need to do, but I don't feel real confident in it. And then the more I get to preaching, the more I feel God all over it. Sometimes God does that to show you, let me take this. This is a measure you're, you're depending on me. So a spirit uh, of humility. Verses four and five, our attitude is the attitude of humility. I'm going quick because I, I looked at this other week. Uh, we have a, our relationship, verses four and five. We are one body, many members. Though many, one body, verse five. Uh, individually members of one another. Our relationship is unity, 
but diversity. Now think how different we are. What if we all were just alike? What if we all did everything just alike? Could you imagine if everybody was like Kim? Amen. Nicole, that woke her up. That got her going. Lord have mercy. Uh, you know, what if, what if everybody was like me? Wouldn't that be a fun place? Wouldn't that be a fun universe to live in? You know, or, you know, but aren't you glad we're not that kept? Don't you be back there? I've been gone all month and going back there and shake your head like, aren't you? We could all be like Nick and just be perfect. Oh. <laughs> oh. We're all one body, but we're different. And we're different by design. And so it just naturally happens with people in, in church. If we think we're not a Bible teacher, if I'm not on the praise team, if I'm not in the choir, if I'm not on this committee, uh, you know, if I'm not outgoing, if I'm not charismatic and I'm more introvert and to myself, then I, I'm, a, I'm a nobody. No, you're, don't ever say that. You know, if we think we're not this and we wish we could be that and we wish we were like this, you have to, in a biblical way, in a godly way, be who God has created you to be and know that as you belong to the body that we are unified as one body, but there is so much diversity. One of the difficult things I try have to do as a pastor is to get the diversity. We're, we're unified and we're diverse. How do we all get doing the things we need to do? That's so difficult. What if you are a, a real extrovert go-getter and you walk into the door and the first visit you have to the church, like, hey, brother, pastor, joy, I want to sing in the choir and I want to do this. And da, 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 da. Those are easy. That's an easy fix. We just plug you in. What if you're more laid back and a little quiet, but yet you're, you're part of the body? That, that's where it gets difficult for me, knowing that, because guess what I am? You know, could you imagine the first, my first week, we got in the car in Minnesota and Sharon said, just give it a few weeks, okay? Just, just tell the pastor you're here and if you need anything, let you know, but just try not. I was like, I got this, man. So week two, I was like, hey, what's North American Mission Board in town if I could ever do anything? And he's like, mercy you know he was kind of an introvert and I'm kind of an extrovert and he's like oh my word who is this person and why do you sound so funny you know and so it is difficult for me to understand someone that's not like me and as a pastor how can we get them involved just as difficult if you're like not like someone else and to realize you're not like if we were all the same it would not be a very good place to be uh, so there's unity and there's diversity. Many, one, we have our, just like the body and, and different parts of our body. To Here's the thing about it, is we have different parts of the body. The body is put together to, to produce life from the whole organism. The church is different by design so that we can perform our function as the body of Christ. We're not all the same by design. And as we all get plugged in, we're able to do what God has asked us to do to its potential. And then verses 6 to 8, um, 
we've got our attitude of humility, our relationships, is unity and diversity. Now I want us to take the next few minutes and look at our service, I guess you could say, these gifts. If you notice the list of these gifts, the first few gifts deal, and it's not by accident, the first uh, four of these gifts deal with the Word of God. And so we, we never need to forget how important the Word of God is to God. You know, what He says is real important to Him. You know, remember the garden? Did I not say? You know, what did they get in trouble for? Not doing what God said. That's what started all this mess. Okay? The Word of God is very important to God. And He gifts people according to to the word of God and, and their gift and it's the first four of these gifts in Rome and deal with the word of God and then the other three gifts uh, deal with uh, relationships within the church uh, that work alongside the word of God. Verse six, having gifts, that word gift is charisma uh, and you'll, you'll uh, that's kind of where we get the idea of charismatic expression of the gifts, gifts of the spirit. That word gifts there, charisma, uh, is where we get our same word that grace comes from, charis, which is grace. By grace, you've been saved through faith. So here's a great understanding of what gifts are. Grace gifts. It is a gift. Like grace is given to us. Our gifts are given to us. It's not something we obtain. Uh, there's a difference, I think, between talents and gifts. I think that you can be talented and born some way and God could use our talents and through our talents they become gifts that we could use. I mean, you could, you could you know, be like someone that could say, I am a singer. I've, been, I've just been born with the ability to sing and carry a tune. I love to sing. It's not not loving to sing. I don't have the gift of people enjoying hearing me sing. It's the tone and the pitch thing. I love music and I always want to apologize. I love to sing. I think we all ought to just sing out and praise the Lord, but my gift is not one that people ask me to sing to them. Let's just say it that way. But you can have that ability, talent, to be that type of person, and then once you get saved, God says, I'm going to use your talent for my glory now. But then also, if we think about spiritual gifts, a grace gift, it could be something that you don't even understand you have until you get saved. You know, it could be the, the call to preach. You, 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 you never could utter a sentence publicly, and all of a sudden God saves you, and all of a sudden now you've got the ability to, to take the Word of God and expound Scripture. So don't, you, you can be gifted as a talent that God could use as a gift, but then there's also this spiritual gift that is, may not be there and you don't understand until after you're saved. And so that is really important for us to understand. Another thing about gifts is, and this is more of a, an observation, God gives the gifts. This is very important to me. It's one of my little pet peeves as a pastor. <clears throat> God gives the gifts. The body confirms them. That's, that's so important. When I was working with Nam, you'd be amazed when you, when you, when you lay out your information, point of contact, Minnesota, Wisconsin. If you're interested in planting a church, contact John Beck, St. Cloud, Minnesota, blah, blah, blah. Bring, hello, I am called to preach. Now I'm going to plant a church. Where do you go to church? I don't. I left that church because they just, they, they, 
True story. 80% of the time. I used to go to this church, but I don't go anywhere. Who's your pastor? He and I couldn't get along. I don't need a pastor. I'm going to plant a church. How do you know you're called to preach? I just think I am. Well, how do you know you're called to preach if you've never preached? Am I thinking about it too simplistically? How do I know I'm called to do anything unless the church can acknowledge you're called to do this? These gifts are within the church. And so there's always going to be the church confirming what God is doing. When, when we send out an application for a seminary student that's praying through a ministry, I fill out a thing. Do you, where, where do you see God working in this person's life? And it has to be signed and filled out by the pastor, and it has to be voted on by the church. Our Southern Baptist seminaries want to know the church is behind what God is doing. God is not going to gift without a body confirming. If someone is called to do something, others will see that under the umbrella of the body of Christ. They will see, yes, that is exactly what you're called to do. Now, I have had people tell me, and I've read autobiographies and stuff, that someone someone got saved. You know, all, all salvation is radical. I got radically saved, went to church. What was the guy's, um, Coral Ridge Presbyterian. What's his name? I just forgot his name. James J. Kennedy. I think that's his story, is it not? Somebody correct me on that. He just showed up and walked in a building and said, God's called me to preach. I mean, he, just, he got saved and walked and found a church and said, God's called me to preach. Okay, you might say, well, that's not what you just said. Okay, he knew God had called him to preach. Where's the first place he went? He went to the church and he began to preach and they said, yep, <laughs> you sure are. So the body is always confirming what God is laying on our heart to do. That is so important that we understand. Here are the gifts. Now, I'm not a big spiritual gift inventory guy. I mean, I'm not going to say everybody, and I'm not saying they're wrong. If you've done them, I've done them. Uh, you fill out a bunch of questions, and it tells you where your giftedness is. Um, that can be helpful you know, they'll ask you different questions and then you can connect the dots and at the end of that survey, it tells you this. They can be accurate. To me, I just get a little nervous of that. I think the best way to understand where our giftedness is is get involved with the things of the Lord. Pray and ask God to use you in a mighty way and what you enjoy doing and you see confirmation in that, that is where you'll see your giftedness come out. Um, and, and I think that I'm not against inventories. I'm not against studies that get you to fill out little things. In Romans here, we see these particular gifts. Uh, and, and they're not exclusive gifts. And the only one has one of these. But I think they're encouraging as we think about what God is asking people to do. That is the question. What is God asking you to do? I'm going I'm to go ahead and I'm going to be a prophet for a minute. I'm going to speak a word of prophecy for you tonight. Thus saith the Lord, God is not calling you just to sit here and listen to me every week. That's some of our calling. That is part of what God, does that make sense? I'm trying to be, Sharon's going, stop being sarcastic. It doesn't work. <laughs> but I think some people think that's their spiritual gift. What's, your, what's God called you to do? Come to church. I know who slips out when I'm praying on Sunday morning. I know who they are. They're not getting away with it. I know who they are. Their gift isn't just to come sit and go to church on Sunday morning. 
We're all gifted to serve and to do something. I'm not trying to be funny. We're not just called to sit and listen. We're in, even seeing. We're called to do that. Our calling is to serve within a church. What I meant by that is you'd be surprised the number of people in America that think just coming to church is it. So, hey, it's 12. The preacher's preaching. Let's beat the crowd. Pew. Every Sunday. Pew. All over the world. They don't know anybody. They, you couldn't. You, you could. You could take. You could take some of our people on our church roll and, and stand them in that fellowship hall today, and they couldn't tell you who one of those kids were. Now they might could tell you what the top of their head looks like or the back of their head looks like, but isn't that sad that we have so many people that may uh, may attend our church and other churches that have just never taken the time to get involved and to serve and to do, and then we're sitting here, you know trying to encourage and guilt people to sign up for vacation Bible school. We should never have to ask more than one time to get anything done with a church of 1,200 members. You think about it. We should never, you should never serve in the nursery more than one time a year. Carol, is that the case though? Carol's like, yeah. You know, and it's sad. And it, it is, I'm, I'm going to vent a little bit. And then when I, when I begin as a pastor to talk to people about it, it's my fault. Well, we're just not in a, you know, we just, okay. We are called to serve. We're called to be people of serving the Lord uh, and his church. Yes, I enjoy sitting. Yes, I enjoy worship. Yes, I enjoy sitting and listening to preaching. But uh, what I love about church is, is doing and serving and taking part and being part of the body. Prophecy is the proclamation of the word of God. Uh, when we see prophecy here, having the gifts that differ among that grace has let us uh, use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. So that gift of prophecy is someone that is taken in an Old Testament prophecy, thus saith the Lord. In an unbiblical way today, it would be a prophet saying, I've got a fresh word from God. I have the gift of prophecy, and I've, I've been on TV and seen this. You know, a prophet comes out and says, this is what the Lord said. Uh, it's, it, it, I don't mean that God can't, I mean, I can be riding down the road, and you know, I, I, this did happen, you know, I'm riding in the road. I wonder how Nick and Diane are doing on their trip. You know, they told me to pray for them. So, you know, I might be riding down the road and the Lord lay on my heart, Nick and Diana, as they're traveling, hoping they bring me back a souvenir, which they didn't. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to say that God did not do that. Yeah, God did that. God laid them on my heart, but I'm not claiming to be a prophet. I got a fresh word from the Lord today. Nick and Diane. I'm a prophet. No, God just nudges your heart. There are things. And, but what I'm talking about is those people that say, I've got a word from the Lord you need to hear about. I've got a fresh word, like a Joseph Smith Mormonism type thing. God gave me a word. He didn't give anybody else. And everybody needs to listen to me. This prophecy is a good prophecy. It's in the New Testament church. Romans was written, written later on. We don't have time to go into it. Romans was written later on in the apostolic age, and we see the, the influence of the apostles fading as scriptures being written, and we have the word of God in scripture. Prophecy here is proclaiming the word of God. 
it, it, it's, it's teaching the truths of Scripture, but if you just take the words, it could almost be like a, a pastor or a lay pastor that is proclaiming the truths of Scripture. Someone can say, I have the gift of prophecy of taking the Word of God and explaining it by, you know, and encouraging people, thus saith the Lord. Now, I believe that, that there, there are people that are called to do that that necessarily may not be a, the pastor. I think you can have a gift of prophecy in there that you take the word of God and you're able to communicate that word and expound that word. And it does carry the idea in a public arena, in kind of a public setting. It kind of, if you look at the wording usage of it, it carries the idea of the proclamation of the truth, the gift of what we call prophecy. Secondly, we see there a gift, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you as we go through here. Think about where your heart is stirred and where God could see you working. Um, verse 7, <clears throat> the gift of ministry. The, the ESV has service, uh, but you could, you could uh, diakonoi, it could be ministry, uh, and, and it carries the idea of, of service. It is to, to build up uh, in Acts, it's where we get the word of deacons. I, I shared on Facebook, Facebook is one of my sharing things, a wonderful article written by Phil Newton. And I even put on there, and sometimes when we put stuff on Facebook, people, what did he mean by that? Not y'all, what did he mean by that? And I just put on there, great article about the ministry of a deacon. So many Baptist churches don't have a clue. I didn't say it quite that sarcastic. Uh, you know, I have served in a church to where it was a deacon council. We'll never forget the day that the, a representative from the building and grounds came in and uh, asked the deacons at our church if they could purchase a lawnmower. And we talked for 45 minutes on whether or not the building and grounds could buy a lawnmower they had budget for. And what really perturbed me about this particular deacons meeting, I will not name any names, you wouldn't know them anyway, is that half the deacons that had the opinion don't even come to church half the time. And so I'm a 20-something-year-old guy sitting there going, do I have the right to say anything in this setting? Because this is really aggravating me. And so when I say the word deacon is serve, we serve. It's not, hey, you need anything, I'm here. Can you imagine me telling Sharon that? Hey, if you need anything, I'm here. Well, can you open your eyes and see what I need, dum-dum? I mean, how many men are bad at that? Hey, I'm in here watching TV if you need anything. Look at the house. It's imploding around me. Okay. The word for, for deacon, so here's what, you know, it'd be a great thing. I've never really thought of it this way. It just came to me. Is a prophetic word. We're praying about asking you to be a deacon. Do you think you have the spiritual gift of ministry? Uh, no. Okay, we're just checking. Never mind. And that's what it is, ministry. Uh, looking at the, 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 the serving in a church. So, do you have to be a, a deacon? It, well, another way to explain that, to be a deacon, you have to have the gift of ministry. But you can have the gift of ministry and never have a desire to serve as a deacon. But there's a gift of ministry. You can be male, female, old, young. The idea is, what can I do for the church and others? You know, going back to the folks that just all over our land, all over the Southern Baptist Convention that just 
sit in church and that's all they do. They sit and attend a worship service. Could you imagine what would happen if every time we entered the building, we said, what can I do for somebody else? You know, I've had people tell me this. It's, I, I know I do it because my, my attention span on Sunday morning goes into a weird... I have no attention span on Sunday mornings. It is everywhere. And I've had people tell me, you know, well, I went to talk to Pastor John. He walked right by me. Well, here, think about the world I live in. If I'm walking down this aisle, I can't have two conversations with two people at the same time. So sometimes if I go down this aisle, I know how sensitive... Shug and Sue is, so I have to make sure I talk to Shug and Sue. And in doing that, Mark's got his feelings hurt. He walked right by me, didn't say a word to me. And by the time I try to go back down this side to talk to them, I've missed the cue from joy. The music's starting. I'm stumbling over trying to get back and do the, you know, it's a, that's my universe on Sunday mornings. And so one, somebody told me one time, uh, and I, I probably did it in the flesh, not here in Indiana. I don't mind saying if it's here, but it wasn't here. Hey, I went to shake your hand. I stuck my hand out and you turned right back around and talked to somebody else. And I said, but let me just say this to you, okay? Instead of walking in those back doors waiting on me to shake your hand, why don't you look around and find somebody's hand you can shake? She did not like that answer. But the idea was instead of coming to church and everybody wanting to receive, what if we walked into church and said, you know what, it isn't about me. What can I do for somebody else? You know, I like to sit and sing and hear the preaching of the Word of God, but you know what I think I'm going to do this morning? I'm going to find Carol McCulloch and ask if I can serve in the nursery. You know, I like to do this thing and I like to do that. You know what? But you know, I think today what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask myself, what can I do for somebody else? As a matter of fact, I'm going to be so whole godly and, and spiritual with my ministry and worship, I'm not even going to put my Bible and stuff down. I'm going to let anybody have my seat they want. Well, revival would break out if we did that. <laughs> but it's just a mentality. I know we were talking about that to lunch. It just gets awkward when you have to stand up and go, okay, we need some men to help with vacation Bible school. <laughs> and you know there's a, a hundred men sitting and listening to that. There should have been a hundred men running out to that door fighting for who's going to get the next spot. It gets awkward for staff. Amen, it's quiet, isn't it? But isn't that the truth? I mean, anytime somebody, we ought to be able to say, hey, I got a request from the nursery. We were using the same people over and over and over. If you'd be willing to serve in the nursery, because one time I did ask, I got in trouble here. We need a nursery worker, and the three people we would never want to be in the nursery are the ones that ran out to keep the nursery. And I got in trouble from Carol. Never let Paisley come in there again. And... Uh, <laughs> That's a joke, but I can't say the name. That would be bad. Uh, so, but it, I ought to be able to stand up and say, hey, we need new nursery workers. Come see me. I ought to be a stampede of people. Instead of, I've done that. Okay, so you've done that when your kids were little, so why don't we do this? We'll make the young mothers do it. They're the ones that need to be sitting under the word of God. We've been in church for 100 years. Why don't we let the young people sit up under the word of God and we keep the nursery? But we just it's just crazy to serve. What can I do for the church, for others? That old demon's getting in here now, mad. 
stirring the pot. To me, it's the most practical and easy spiritual gift. Just do ministry. What can I do? What can I do for somebody else? Another gift is teaching. This is where you, your Sunday school teachers, your small group leaders, uh, we, you, you're able to take the word and explain it, I think, systematically uh, and understand it. It gets kind of difficult sometimes as a pastor because, again, again, if it is a gift, you feel the Lord has given it to you, but it's also been confirmed. And you'd be surprised a number of times. I'll have people say, I have a gift to teach. But yet every time there's an attempt to teach, there's not the fruits of it. And I know that's a, a slippery slope because it's not about numbers. Numbers are important, but it's just happened so often in my life. I've got the gift to teach. How do you know? Because I just enjoy, I, I love the Bible and I, I love Jesus. And I'll say, well, have you, have you ever... You know, would you be willing to help with vacation Bible school? That's a great way to explore a gift of teaching. Would you be willing to help in Sunday school? Would you be able to help in this? Would you be able to help in that? And, and that is the greatest way. Now, I want to do a better job of being able to create an atmosphere that we are helping people understand they can teach. I don't think it's a, a, a gift that just a select few have. I think it's a gift we all could be very comfortable doing. I've often tried to uh, establish these platforms of teaching and encouraging that as a pastor, you know, uh, Matt does a phenomenal job with our young people uh, of, of letting them understand this is what it means to teach the word, how we can teach the word because it is the word of God and it is the spirit of God so I think in a sense we can all teach but I think in some sense we think that teaching is I've got to have a group I've got to do this I want my own Bible study I want to be uh, but there is a gift to it uh, and God gifts us to do so first Timothy 3 2 one of the responsibilities of an elder pastor is to be able to teach Spurgeon was uh, the pastor over in England many, many years ago, the prince of preachers. He had, a, he had a pastor's college, and people would come up to him and say, I've been called to teach. teach and he, he would say, begin teaching. And if, if, if you would get halfway through a lesson or a sermon or whatever, he says, no, you're not called. you got some more work to do. He said, well, I know I'm not called because you're not doing it very well. I mean, that's just pretty, you've got to be able to teach. One of the requirements of being a, an elder and an overseer and a bishop and we would call a pastor in a church is you, you need to at least be able to teach. Now, personalities are different, you know, and I get frustrated because the world we live in, if, if the pastor's not dynamic and grabs your attention and pop, 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 he's not a teacher. I, I just totally disagree with that. I think being able to teach is rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, the word is not boring. We know that. So, therefore, we shouldn't try to be boring. But it doesn't mean that you have to be the most dynamic person in the world to be the best teacher. You just need to be able to do the, do the right work uh, with the word. Number four, exhortation, exhorting, parakaleo. I, I said that this morning, uh, parakletos, the, the, the spirit. Uh, to exhort is to parakaleo, to come alongside someone. And to have the gift of encouragement. And I see some of these gifts are just so clear to me. 
especially those gifts when we move beyond the teaching of the word uh, because a lot of us would say, well, I just, I'm not a teacher and a preacher of the word. That may be the case. But so many of these gifts I see played out. Some people just naturally come along each other and they're able to exhort one another, to strengthen, to encourage, to warn, to plead as a helper, the ability to excite, motivate, advise, encourage, to comfort, and to warn people. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Hebrews, you stay there, I'll read it. If you, if you get looking around, I'll be there too much longer. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for, for who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. I love the stir one another up. Let us consider how to stir one another up, not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, now that's that go-to verse. Don't let the sake and the assembling of the gather. No, don't neglect that. Why do we not neglect meeting together? Because we are stirring one another up. You know, we, we were, a group of us were meeting and doing, doing Bible study uh, tonight, a little small group. We were discussing a lot. Every time I am in a Bible study with somebody or in some capacity, as the pastor, I guess I'm the leader of it, Every time I'm meeting with a group of other people like that, I am encouraged. I mean, I, when I get home on Wednesday night, it takes me a little while to go, hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of tired because, you know, but it, it's just like I'm just, why? Because I've been around y'all. Y'all kind of get me all wired up. You know, I get Sunday morning. Why? Y'all be, y'all be, being around, we're encouraging one another. And so when you... When you do not, when you take a Sunday off because you're tired, I always tell everybody, think like a mother. How tired are you when that, you know, when, when sweet little George Ann, that almost perfect child, I tell everybody, she's gifted. We don't even have to have her tested. She's gifted. When that little baby's crying in the background and Katie goes, I'm tired. You know, I deserve a break today. We worked hard this week. I think I'm going to just leave George Ann in there to herself. Do we do that? No. Same thing to me as church. I don't want to be legalistic. Sometimes you might have a good, great reason to stay home and not come to church. Of course, why am I saying this on Sunday night? Uh, you're, you're here. Uh, when you don't come, when someone does not come, they're neglecting the opportunity to stir one another up. And it takes away from the body. Think about it. We're not just coming to receive. We're coming to give. Exhorting. It causes an action. I mean, so again, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm in a church. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about this, what is this gift of exhorting one another. Could you imagine, I always say, walking in the doors and saying, who can I encourage today? Who can I strengthen today? Who, who needs a, a warning today? We talked about that Saturday morning in our shepherding group. Uh, when someone is not living out the Christian life faithfully, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I love you. I'm concerned about you. You missed, you, here's a great, could you imagine what would happen is if every time somebody missed about a good month of church, 
if we caught that immediately and said, you know what, brother? Hey, Brother David, this is John. I noticed you had not been here in about a month. You doing okay? Can I help you? What can I do to encourage you, brother? I hadn't seen you in a while. Not, not, not from the pastor, but just from a lay person. You don't think that would stir somebody's heart instead of us realizing five years down the road they hadn't been in Sunday school in five years and nobody's called them and then you come to me and go, whatever happened to what's the name? I have no idea where what's his name is. But we're exhorting and encouraging. Then these last three gifts uh, deal with inside the body. So let's, let's say it this way, another way to say that. Prophecy proclaims the truth, teaching explains, prophecy proclaims the truth, teaching explains the truth, exhortation calls believers to obey and follow the truth. And then we have these last three and we'll close with this. Giving, leadership, and mercy. The gift of giving is sharing and imparting that which is one's own. Time, talent, and treasures. It is not my own. And therefore I'm giving it to the Lord. Uh, our sharing and, and what we do, we are doing so it can make an impact for others. It, is a, it talks about with a sincere heart. It's a sincere heart, which is completely opposite to Matthew 6, 2, where we do so others can see. You know, Baptists were notorious about putting names on something. You know, if you give $100, we'll put your name on it. The Kim Slosher Family Ministry Pavilion Quadruple Decker Youth Building. A couple of million dollars, brother. We'll put your name out there on a the door frame somewhere, all right? And so that's what we tend to do is we, hey, if, if I'll do, you know, giving of ourselves is the person that washes dishes on a Wednesday night and nobody even knows they do it. You know, a, a, a giving person is someone that will be willing to come up and, and vacuum the, the fellowship, uh, vacuum the sanctuary, work in the nursery, and nobody needs to know it. But it's sad, though, we tend to gravitate toward the other people, the big people, the people that give, the people that have something to give, and it's just the opposite. A true gift of giving is you're just giving for no other reason than you know it honors your Father and pleases Him. The gift of leadership the idea of standing before, the ability to lead and to govern. It talks about doing so with, with diligence and earnestness and zeal. It carries the idea, you know, I will say this. You know, let me tell you what every, I was at a setting in, in Glorietta, not Glorietta. What's the one in North Carolina? Ridgecrest. Ice cream, Ridgecrest. You ever been to Ridgecrest? You know what I mean by ice cream. Go up the hill and get ice cream at Ridgecrest. Uh, I remember being in a huge, a huge setting in Glorietta, uh, Ridgecrest, Glorietta's New Mexico. Ridgecrest, and a, a, a big guy from Lifeway made this comment. The number one request we have in denominational circles is from pastors saying, help us develop leaders. Leaders. People that would just lead. I got this. Let me take hold of this. Let me take this on as a ministry and do whatever I need to do to make sure it gets done. It's standing before a group. It's hard to be a leader. I, I, I wrote down in my, one of my little books, uh, and I need, to, I need to write it more legible. I'd like to share it. Uh, and it talks about 
the cost of being a leader. A pastor wrote it, and I came across it. Man, it's phenomenal. And it's talking about the criticism you get for being a leader. And it basically, it was a list of things for pastors. It says, listen, if you don't like criticism, you're not ever going to be a leader. Isn't that awesome? That is so true. You're not going to lead anything and, and not be criticized. I mean, it's like being a leader in your home. How many fathers... Uh, we've got, the, we've got the, the slosher family down front. I can put y'all on open mic. Have you ever been criticized for being a father in your household? Yes, okay. <laughs> being a leader, you face criticism. Being a leader, it's hard. Being a leader is something that you're, you're at. It's not easy. I think that's why it's so hard to find leaders in a church, you know. You know who, are the, who are the leaders, in a, in a, the spiritual leaders in a church? should be men. I'm not taking away from women. It should be men. So if Matt says, hey, we need men to sign up for vacation Bible school, who should be the one? I mean, I just, that's a practical example. A leader is going to do what? I got this. I'm a leader. I lead by example. As I follow Jesus, I'm going to lead. Men, let's go. Let's make a charge to the clipboard. On me. Rah. But it's so few times, and a lot of people will say this to me in a church, and this is, every pastor says this, that the majority of the leaders that we need in a church, whether male or female, the tendency is to say this, I'm here if you need me. And you know what? All you got to do is ask. I understand that. I've told men this my whole life in leadership. I know that I can call on you and you would do anything I ask you to do, but could you just take the blinders off and just see what needs to be done and just do it for me? That would be so much easier that when you see something being done that someone else has seen, uh, you know, uh, we were having a deacon's meeting at, at Bethel in Indiana and the way I was sitting in the office, I've told this story before, you could see the driveway. And so seven or eight of us men come pulling in the driveway and went right past the, the trash can sitting by the sidewalk. We had to take our trash to the sidewalk. Ten men, shoom, shoom, shoom. So I'm sitting there in the deacons meeting because we're leaders. We're having a leadership meeting before big church on Sunday night. And I looked up and Doreen Bentz, a widowed lady, a divorced lady, uh, probably in her 50s or 60s or so, pulls off on the side of the road uh, in the parking lot, drags the trash cans up beside the church building, walks back to her car, and then parks the car and comes into church. And I looked around going, what? Good job, leaders. And I was just as guilty. That's what the church needs. Is, you know, what a great prayer. God, give us the gift of leadership just seeing something that needs to be done. Here's the thing about leadership too and the negative aspect of this. You don't demand leadership. You don't, you can't, you know, in, in some church circles, it's like, well, I'm a leader and you're going to follow me. No, leadership is not something you demand. Uh, it, it's something that is earned. Uh, and, and people will follow someone that has been gifted to lead. But so often we don't have the people willing to stand up and lead. We've got plenty of people, and I'll go ahead and say this tonight. I've got all the people I need that I know are there if I need them, okay? That, that pew's full. What I need is, is people to say, I'm here. Here am I. Send me. So we, we, I know i got a pew full of, I need the Isaiah pew. Here I am. Send me. 
And I say that because there's great need. Why is there a great need? Because the world is so lost. And Avon Park is needing a, a gospel-centered church that believes in the power of the gospel to change lives. And, and we're, we're here. We're it. Tag, we're it. I mean, what a, what a great location. Look where we are. Um, and then showing mercy. Actively demonstrating sympathy as to strengthen someone's sensitivity to suffering needs and feelings that turn to action. This is one of those uh, ministries that it is obvious who has the gift of mercy. You see a need. You, you know, here's the thing. One of the frustrating things about having the gift of mercy is you don't understand why nobody else has it. You know, you look around going, why does this not bother these people? Why am I the only one that, you know, uh, uh, this, that, and the other? And so any of these gifts, if you really have them, you, you're frustrated by that. But just a, a gift of mercy, all of these gifts, just think about how beneficial they are. We, we talk often, Wednesday, I like talking anyway. Uh, on Wednesday nights, our, our kitchen ladies, I don't, I don't know if that's a flattering name, the kitchen ladies. I never ask y'all if y'all mind me calling you that. The kitchen servants, the kitchen ladies, uh, we, we always get in there talking because a lot of the ladies that do the kitchen uh, also do our, our Monday flower ministry. There's a lot of hurting people in our congregation. A lot of people that need, they need love, they need prayers. You know, and I'm grateful for ladies that are able to be here. That's a gift of mercy. They, they see a need and they follow through with it. And, and I catch myself, and I'm, I'm confessing, I think sometimes when we live in a world that we live in, we get hardened to mercy. We just get, I know as a pastor, we just get, we, we get, we're almost too, so empty. We, we're, we're, we're complacent to the mercy because our whole life, that's what we've done. You know, 20-something years of showing mercy, I'm just drained in the mercy thing. Uh, there are so many people that are hurting and need sympathy and need love and need someone to come alongside them. Uh, and what a great gift that is that we can show mercy. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and mercy. And there's three words, we'll close with this. There's three words tucked into those last few verses, I think, that are underlying uh, how we exercise these gifts with generosity and notice it says when it talks about leadership with zeal. And then it talks about mercy and having these things with cheerfulness. My life, however I'm gifted, I'm generous. And I'm giving of my life because I'm born again. And I'm doing so with diligence and zeal. Get off the pew, okay? I know you're there. I've got the, we got the new directory coming out. I got everybody's number. I know I can call you. I've, you, know, you know I can call you. Show some zeal and some diligence and some idea of just knowing what needs to be done in life in general and just do it. And then this idea of forgiveness, doing so cheerfully. You know, there are days that I may not feel good and I come to you, you know, Matt and I can kind of drag in here on Mondays and we both don't feel good on Mondays. And somebody asked me this, don't, don't, don't take this the wrong way. Somebody, you know, said, well, a lot of preachers take Mondays off. I feel so bad on Mondays, I don't want to be on my day off feeling that bad. <laughs> We're wore out. Y'all know y'all think we don't do anything. I'm mentally exhausted on Monday. So I'd, 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 much rather, I'd much rather feel 
not as good on my, my non-day off and being home on my day off, washing all the clothes and cleaning the house on my day off. And, uh, <laughs> but even when we don't feel good and we just don't know if we can handle another conversation, and if I have to look at this person one more time, I'm going to pull my hair out. Some of y'all told me y'all feel that way about me. I'm doing so with a spirit of cheerfulness. I love my church. I love serving here. I love keeping the nursery. I love cutting the grass. I love working in the kitchen. I love serving. I love being able to say, this is my church family, and I'm generous, and I'm diligent, and I'm cheerful unto the Lord. I have gone over. I apologize for that. I tried to be in, in constraints of time, but... I'll blame it on the Holy Spirit tonight. So let's stand and I'll dismiss us in prayer. Lord, we thank you for our time together as the body of Christ. We thank you that you've gifted us, even as a pastor of this church and the, the joy I have to lead and to serve in this capacity. It is a great joy to see how we are gifted. And even as I'm going through that list, I'm filling it in with so many names and faces because I see what you're doing in the lives of your people. But I pray, Lord, if we have discussed tonight, there is not a gift of nothingness. There's not a gift of just sitting there that you have called us to serve you. We've called us to do something for your kingdom, for your glory, and for your church. And so, Lord, I thank you for those that do, and I pray that you convict those that don't so that we can truly be the church that we can be so that we can truly make a difference for your kingdom. And this we pray in Christ's name, amen.